If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew in chapter 5, we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And looking at the Sermon on the Mount, we're looking at the Beatitudes in particular. But something I don't know if you've ever noticed is Sermon on the Mount and what Brother Josh has been preaching on on Sunday night, the book of James. The Sermon on the Mount actually appears in all five chapters in the book of James. As far as much of the content which we are reading, which I find it very fascinating. Both of those books show the implications of the royal law. One's response to that second great commandment. Do you know what the second great commandment is? Love your neighbor as yourself. goes hand in hand with do unto others as you would have others do unto you. What you find in that second great command, loving your neighbor as yourself, it'll reveal your response to the first great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we're looking at this particular passage, found in verses, or actually chapters 5 through 7, but we're looking at the beginning of this sermon that our Lord spoke. As I mentioned last Sunday, it would take about 15 minutes to read through the whole passage of Scripture, which we're not going to do. We're looking at a little portion at a time. We kind of looked at an overview last Sunday and then went very quickly over the first four Beatitudes. These Beatitudes, uh, I've heard people say, I think it was Warren Wiersbe, I think last I heard coined the saying, something like, it's the Beatitude. It's the attitude you ought to be. In other words, these are characteristics that ought to be found in every child of God. It's not you pick and choose and you can do certain things and I, well, I'm strong into being poor in spirit, but I don't have much of a meek spirit. No, the spirit of God that dwells within you has these characteristics working out in your life and they ought to be a part of your life and this is how we ought to live as children of God. One of the things the Word of God tells us in the first beatitude says, Blessed are those that are poor, for they theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The last beatitude, what you read in verse 10, it says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You notice the kingdom of heaven is stressed there in the first and the last beatitude. The kingdom of heaven. I want to very give, give you a very brief description of what the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is got about three different aspects. You can look at the kingdom of heaven as something that is come close unto us. That's what Jesus said as he was sharing the gospel with others. The kingdom of heaven is nigh unto you. What is the kingdom of heaven? It's something that's coming in great power and glory one day when our Lord returns. But the kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of God in the hearts and lives of His people. That is another description, another aspect of the kingdom of heaven. That means no matter where you are, whether you belong to a Baptist church, a Methodist church, Presbyterian church, if you're a child of God, you belong to the kingdom of heaven. 
The Word of God teaches us in John chapter 3 that you must be born again. We are born into the kingdom of God. And when we're born into the kingdom of God, God changes our hearts and our lives, and we submit to His rule and reign. We desire to see Him rule and reign. That's why this beatitude, the first one, starts out, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's how you enter into the kingdom of heaven. You must realize that you are poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is not the same as the family of God. I believe the family of God goes all the way back to the beginning of time from all those who have been redeemed from Adam all the way to our present time. That's the family of God. The kingdom of God is the present state of where God rules and reigns in the hearts and lives of His people all around the world. The kingdom of God is not the same as the Lord's church. There, that's two different distinctions. You're not born into a church. You're born into the kingdom of God. You're born a child of God into the kingdom of God. You're baptized into one of the Lord's churches. So there is a distinct difference. I don't want to go into the, all the technicalities of the kingdom of God and the church, but there are some very, very big distinctives there. Many people in our day and time confuse these two terms and they equate them. The kingdom and the church are the same thing. Not so. The Lord built His church. And either you're a member of His church, and I'm talking about a local visible assembly of baptized believers who desire to do God's will. Either you're a member of His kind of church or you're not. But if you're born again, you know what? You're a member of the kingdom of God. I say that to clarify some terms because many people confuse those terms. I find it very interesting that the Beatitudes end with the kingdom of God and shows how we shall live if we have been born into the kingdom of God. Each one of the Beatitudes start out with a word, and that word in the Greek is makarios. I find that a very unique word. Makarios means to be blessed or to be happy. Now this is talking about happiness, blessedness. Jesus is teaching us the path to blessedness. Here's how you are blessed. Here's how you are happy. In verses 3 through 6, what we looked at last week, we see a people who know their need for God. In verses 7 through 10, what we see, it shows those who have received the grace of God and they're subject to His rule, and they're submitted to His commands. They desire to do the will of God. In verses 3 through 5, to kind of brief over that once again, I want you to notice what the Word of God says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know what? One cannot be meek unless 
they see themselves poor in spirit first. All these kind of build one upon another. I find it very fascinating. These first four, they all begin in the Greek with the letter P. There's the alliteration by our Lord, which is very fascinating. But what do I mean by poor in spirit? We went over this last Sunday. It means you've got to see yourself as being spiritually impoverished. You've got to see yourself and the sinfulness of sin within yourself. You've got to see yourself as a broken sinner in the sight of God. And there is nothing in your hand you can bring to God that would appease God. And there's nothing in and of yourself that you can do to make God accept you. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You know what? Christ is our only hope. If we are poor in spirit, we see our need of the Savior. What do I mean by seeing our sinfulness? You know what? There are some sinners that are not as bad as other sinners. You as a sinner might not be as bad as you could be, but the potential to be that bad lies within you. In other words, we have a fallen nature. We are sinners by birth. We are born sinners, therefore we choose to sin because we are born sinners. But what you need to see is that it's the sin in your life that separates you from God. It's the sin in our life that separates us one from another. It's the sin in our life that causes walls to be built up and causes relationships to break down. But ultimately, it's the sin in our lives that separate us from a holy and righteous God because He's a purer eyes that He cannot behold iniquity. So it's because of our sinfulness... We've offended a holy and righteous God. You might say, I'm not that bad a person. I will say very simply, in the book of James it says, if you've offended in one point, you've broken the whole law. You know what that means? It means God is holy. And you might think yourself a pretty good person, but in God's sight, if you've sinned once, you've broken the whole law of God because God is perfect. Therefore, we have broken the law. That makes you a law breaker. If you break the law, you deserve the punishment. What we must see within ourselves, that we are vile by nature because of our sinfulness, that our sins have separated us to God, and what that leads to, when we see our sinfulness and how poor we are in spirit, it leads to mourning. It means to weep over our sin. It means that we are deeply saddened because of the sinfulness of our nature. It is then only can we see that there is the absence of pride. Because you see there's nothing in you and of you that can make you proud before God. 
we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. When there is absence of pride, there is a submission to God. There is mourning for our sin because we're poor in spirit. We have nothing to offer Him. Therefore, that produces a spirit of meekness. That means we leave everything behind. Anything we might have concerning ourselves, our rights, our goals, our dreams, everything that we have, we surrender to Him. We give it all to our Lord. We put them in His hands. And then the Word of God says, The meek shall inherit the earth. What does it mean to inherit the earth? I believe if you've humbled yourself before God, you have turned from your sin, you put your faith in Christ, there's no room for pride, then He satisfies your soul. That's not something you can work for. It's not something you can do. It's something that God does for us. But you see, the problem that the world has, and a lot of Christians have, is like when we come to this next beatitude, it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. To hunger and thirst after righteousness. There's not one of us in here that doesn't seek happiness to some degree or another. But that's what the world seeks. The world is seeking this word, this Greek word, makarios, this blessedness. The world is seeking happiness. That's their motivation. That's their drive. Why do you think young boys want to grow up to be pro football players or some other thing? It's because they want to be happy. You see, what drives a person's motivation, what's behind every effort that they put forth is that desire to be happy. But the problem is, it's something that's very elusive. No matter how hard you try to be happy in your life, if you're striving for happiness, you're not going to attain it. Hear what the Word of God says. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. You see, the world is looking for happiness, and therefore they seek it in the things they do and the things they can attain. It might be employment, it might be work, it might be climbing up the ladder, it might be making more money, it might be in drugs, it might be in sex, it might be in their worldviews and power-hungry. Even Christians fall into this trap that this world is looking for, that even Christians are looking for happiness, 
And the problem is they get the cart before the horse. When you look for happiness, you're not going to find it. Christians seek happiness. How? I asked you this morning, how do you seek happiness in your life? Do you seek it through a feeling? Do you seek it through somebody else, how they respond to you and how they act to you? Do you seek it from others? Do you seek it from certain sensations in life or maybe going to a conference or maybe going to a Bible study or maybe going to, you know, there can be good things, but you're seeking happiness through those good things which will never bring you good things. You can go hear the most renowned speakers explain and expound the Word of God But if you're seeking happiness, you're not going to find it by seeking happiness. What does the Word of God say? We are not to hunger and thirst after happiness. That's not what it says, does it? What does it say we're to hunger after? To thirst after. It says righteousness. Boy, that's really different from what the world gives us, isn't it? We are not to thirst after blessedness. Our happiness. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher from yesteryear, that said, whenever you put happiness before righteousness, you are doomed to misery. And how true that is for the child of God. One of the things that has rolled through my mind constantly over about the past four or five years is your happiness lies in your holiness. I want you to ponder that for a moment. Your happiness as a child of God lies within your holiness. Your strength lies in holy living. What the Word of God tells us over in the book of Hebrews, I think chapter 12, it talks about how we're to pursue peace and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You see what the Word of God is teaching us here in this fourth beatitude that we are to pursue and hunger and thirst after righteousness. What does that mean? If you think about it, it's talking about a sanctified life. Pursuing after righteousness. It's kind of like the song we just sang. Lydia and Sarah picked that song out, I guess, a week ago, or close to a week ago. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Full arrayed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. One day, we're going to be free from sinning. What a day that'll be. If you don't have that desire in your heart and your life, something's wrong with you spiritually. Because here is what we are to be pursuing. Holiness. 
righteousness. Do you have a desire for righteousness? I've stuck on this particular beatitude because here's something I believe is not stressed in Christians' lives in our day and time. To be hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It means to walk with the Lord. To have a daily walk with the Lord. It means to be free from the desire of sin. Let me tell you something. As long as you have life and breath, you'll have sinful desires. That's why that song's so special. Oh, that day when freed from sinning. No matter how good and how noble your thoughts may be, you still have sinful desires. Do you long for that time when there will be no more desire for sin? Because see, it's sin that pollutes our soul. It is sin that comes between us and our walk with God. It is sin that breaks fellowship. It is sin that separates. That's why this beatitude is in here. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. There is a sincere desire to be holy. Listen to what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 6 and down in verse 33. He says, but seek ye first. The first thing in your life you need to be seeking is the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then all these things shall be added unto you. The problem is most are seeking all these things for happiness. And the Word of God is telling us to seek His righteousness. You see where we're off track. Things will never satisfy. Only God can satisfy. This beatitude, I believe, is talking about how There is this desire to live the Beatitudes. To be able to live and flesh this out, not just one part, but to live it. To live a Christ-like life. I want others to see Christ in me. I want to live a godly life. But you know what? I'm still in the flesh. As long as I carry this body of weight around... I'm going to still have the flesh with me. But Christ has created a new creature within. He's given me a new heart to serve Him, to overcome sin. There is this hungering and thirsting that I have for righteousness. Let's pause here for a moment. I'm going to make a confession. I'm hungry. Anybody else in here hungry? I keep talking about it. There'll be more than one hand. Morgan, we love food, don't we? (laughs) Yes. We love food. 
<laughs> we love food. But you know what it means to hunger? To hunger means your stomach starts growling. To thirst means you get kind of a parched feeling within your mouth. It's a feeling that doesn't go away until you get some food or get some water. This hungering and thirsting is a continual thing. And it increases until it's satisfied. You ever been starving? That's beyond the point of hungering. You let hungering go far enough and you get to starving. The story is told in the Gospel of Luke concerning the prodigal son. You remember the prodigal son wanted all his goods before his father passed away. The father gave it to him. What did he do? He went out and lived in the world, lived recklessly and wildly, partying with his friends, spending all his substance until he had nothing left, and then he got hungry. What did he do when he got hungry? He went and started eating the corn husk that the pigs eat. But then he got to the point of starving. Now that's a different level. What did he turn to when he hit that point of starving? He turned to the father. And you know, the father was looking straight at him. He was waiting for him. Ready and willing with open arms to embrace him. He wasn't there to throw stones at him. You can imagine what that son smelt like coming from a pig pen. The father embraced him. Give him a new robe. Kill that fatted calf. We're going to have a party. The father was rejoicing because the prodigal son had returned home. Blessed are they which do thirst and hunger after righteousness. Do you have that desire to thirst, to be more holy, to be more sanctified, set apart unto God? Sanctification has got different ramifications to it also. We're sanctified when we put our trust in Christ, but we're being sanctified. It's a process as in life. In other words, I'm not yet what I'm going to be, but God's still working on me, so I'm going to be. He that begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's going to happen, but it's a process. But I, at this point, I'm separated unto Him. But you know what? I should have a desire in my heart to be sanctified. To live a life that's growing in holiness. If I have that, if you have this desire, if you have this hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God, what does God promise you? What does it say? You shall be filled. Now, when you've been hungering and you're hungering to the point of, oh, man, i got to have something to eat. I remember one time I worked like 16 hours in a restaurant, didn't eat. It's bad when you got food all around you and you can't eat. I'm not one of those types. We went to a restaurant one time chasing a rabbit here. The lady who waited on us, she licked her fingers when she got syrup on it when she set the syrup thing back down on the table. Ugh. Nothing to eat for about 16 hours. I get home and I am exhausted. 
I didn't know whether I wanted to eat or if I wanted to sleep. So I ate. And you know what happened when I ate? I was filled. You know what happened when I was filled? I was satisfied. <laughs> you know what God does when you are filled? He makes you satisfied. Only God can do that. Those who chose a word for the year to work on in your life, I found it kind of ironic that my daughter picked satisfied. I'm going to toot her horn a little bit because she ain't here, so she, she won't get the big head. But she said she wanted to be satis- satisfied with Christ. Here is how you're satisfied. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you shall be filled. I want you to put it at a different level here. I don't think there's one of us in here who have children that you don't you desire for your child to be happy. I I desire for my daughter to be happy. But let me tell you something, that's not what she should be pursuing according to the word of God. As long as she's pursuing righteousness, you know what? She will be happy. She will be blessed. That's what God promises. She will be filled because she's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. What I'm telling you this morning is don't seek happiness, but seek righteousness. Seek to live a godly life. And here's what God does for you. God will fill you. You will know forgiveness. The forgiveness that God gives. You will know it. You will know you are forgiven. And if you know you are forgiven, you don't keep asking for forgiveness because you're forgiven. If you know that, boy, that's a good thing to know. Not only will you know you're forgiven... Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We know. We know we're justified. Therefore, we know we have peace because of what Christ has done for us. You know you have the righteousness of Christ imparted to you as soon as you believe in Him. These are things we know. It's not things that are subjective, things that we think are maybe a possibility. These are things that we know according to the Word of God. What God has given us. He has sanctified us. Has done once for all, but it's a process. Sound like I'm contradicting myself. Let me ask you a few questions. As we come to a close, we're not going to go into that fifth beatitude. But let's take the last part of the fourth beatitude. And let me just ask you, are you filled? As a child of God, are you satisfied? Has God filled you? If not, are you seeking the right thing? Have you seen your own righteousness as filthy rags? All your good works as filthy rags? Have you seen your need 
of the Savior. Is there in your life certain things that you have to start avoiding to get out of your life? To pursue righteousness? To hunger and thirst after righteousness? Are there some things that are holding you back that you need to cut out of your life? Let me tell you something in this congregation. Though we're down because of the weather, I believe every one of us has things in our lives that we need to get out of our life. Are there things that you need to start prioritizing in your life that you haven't been put prioritizing? That you may hunger and thirst after righteousness the Apostle Paul, as he was up in years, he was in jail. He wrote the book of Philippians. One of the things Paul wrote there, he was consistently talking about joy in prison. He said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Oh, that I might know him. You see, Paul, as an aged Christian, was still hungering and thirsting after that righteousness. You don't reach a certain point and then you stop. No. You continue to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and He fills you. He satisfies you, and you keep hungering and thirsting after righteousness. This morning, do you have a desire to be like Him? To be more like Christ? Are you consumed with this thirst? I guarantee you, if you had cotton mouth and your tongue was sticking to the wood in your mouth and you couldn't talk because you were so dry you couldn't wait to get some water, you'd be consumed with the thought of water. We as God's people should be hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And if you desire that righteousness, let me tell you something, by grace, He will fill you. It is by grace He will satisfy your hungering and thirsting. And then you know what happens? You hunger and thirst for Him more. And you know what happens? He fills you more. And you hunger and thirst for more and He satisfies you. This morning, I haven't gone too far in the Scripture. But as we look at this fourth beatitude, here's one beatitude where I think we need to really emphasize in our lives if we're God's people. To not be hungering and thirsting for happiness. To not be hungering and thirsting to what makes you feel good, but to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness means refocusing upon Him. There may be some here today never professed Him as Lord, never bowed before Him, never publicly acknowledged Him as your Lord and Savior. We're going to give Him of invitation. We pray you respond as the Lord leads. If you, as in your walk with the Lord, it's not what it should be and you know there are things that need to be taken away or there's things that you need to prioritize in your life. I'm asking you, get right with the Lord this morning.
make things right. There's unconfessed sin. Confess it and get right. And you know what? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, what a Savior we have. Let's stand and go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious and powerful word. And Lord, what a challenge it is to each and every one of us. And oh, how we try to fill certain empty spots in our lives with the things of this world, with happiness and with the pursuit after the wrong things. Lord, help us to see where our focus should be. May we be consumed after your righteousness that we might know you and proclaim you to a lost and dying world. For Christ's sake, amen. One of the illustrations I just used in that song Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I read an illustration where it says it shows a man clinging with his hand to the cross. And his other hand was on the cross. Then right beside that picture, there was the man clinging to the cross, and he had his hand reaching out to others. You know what? We need to reach out to people. But it does no good if we don't hunger and thirst after righteousness ourselves. Revival starts with us, making things right with the Lord. Brother Josh is up front to receive any who might come forward as we sing more love to the old Christ. <laughs>